Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. Is that all the oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Fairmount Plus. Just hang on. All right, hey, it's Jeremy Warner, Alana Enquirer podcast here, and uh, I didn't plan on this early in the day, but uh, I was down in Champaign, did some interviews, and I'll tell you who before we get out of here for this podcast, and because it's going to turn into a podcast uh, for next week that I'm really looking forward to you guys hearing, uh, but it's a huge day. I had the Orange Crush in studio for my radio show this morning, I had Trent Meacham in studio, uh, just interacting with people on campus. This is a big moment. For Illinois athletics, it's a big moment for Brad Underwood's Illini basketball program. It's a big moment for Josh Whitman and his athletic program. Uh, as Illinois, number 20 in the country in basketball, is hosting number 9, Maryland. Scott Van Pelt will be in the house. FS1 is on the broadcast. I was on Lawrence Holmes in 670 The Score this, this afternoon. It tells you people are starting to notice. People are paying attention. And some people who haven't paid attention in a while might be tuning in tonight. And to me, it feels like a great opportunity for Illinois basketball. If they lose tonight, they'll still be in the Big Ten race. They'll still have the interest of, of Illini fans, of course, the excitement of Illini fans for the long term and short term of this program. They're still probably going to go to an NCAA tournament. That's not even a, a doubt for me at this point. But this is the toughest stretch Illinois basketball is going to have all year. And you don't want this to turn into a losing streak, but more importantly, you have an opportunity to take a like one-game lead over Maryland in the Big Ten race. It's been a long time since Illinois played this meaningful of a basketball game against this good of an opponent in a long time. Because unlike the Indiana game you uh, when you beat number one, you're not trying to just get back in the NCAA tournament conversation. You're trying to win the Big Ten. Unlike when Michigan State came here and you beat them in 2010, you are in the Big Ten race, right? Like you're at the top of the Big Ten race with a chance to take the lead. So for me, this does feel like the best, biggest moment for Illinois in Champaign since 0405, and they hosted Wake Forest. Now that was the Big Ten favorite. They were number three team in the country, but that was the moment where it was like, okay, this is an NCAA champion contender, championship contender, right? Like they beat that Wake Forest team with that future Hall of Famer, didn't know it then, Chris Paul, Right? Like that was that arrival moment. Even though Illinois had been really good for a long time, that was where it was Illinois basketball is on the echelon. And right now it feels like, given how they're recruiting, given how Underwood's coaching, given the talent they have, that this could be the moment where they arrive at the top of the Big Ten. And boy, that's fun to just think about and actually talk about as a possibility. That's what Josh Woman said would happen. It's starting to happen. It's they, they are starting to win. And while you might not be completely bought into football, and I'm not saying you should, they started to win this year. They started to play really competitively this year. Uh, and they were able to win some monster games. And we've seen that with basketball. After a rough start, they have turned the corner. And tonight, if they win, this feels like the, the launching off point for this program. Even though they've had a bunch of these moments up to there, you know, where you've had Wisconsin, you, you, you win at Purdue for the first time in a long time. You win at Wisconsin for the first time in a long time. You win at Michigan for the first time in a long time. This is a top 10 team in your place for first place in the Big Ten. Oh, that's fun. That's a lot of fun coming in tonight. The Orange Crush is going to be crazy. You're going to be going crazy, whether you're watching at home or you're going to be in the stands at State Farm Center. This is what you've been waiting for. Bring it. Bring it. We'll go for more of these. And I don't think this is going to be the last time, whether they win or lose. This will be the last time this year we have a game like this because we're going to do it again on Tuesday against Michigan State. Going to do it again on the road here uh, for a couple more games and Iowa in the, in the last game of the season here. you got a lot more of these opportunities, and I think Illinois is going to be battling for Big Ten contendership, if you want to call it that, or Big Ten contention for the next Several years because of the talent Brad Underwood is recruiting, and I think he's a pretty dang good coach. 
So let's come back. When we talk about it, we're going to talk with Derek Piper. Uh, but also, I'm going to talk with Ryan Eastling. I had a fantastic conversation with him about this recruiting class. A lot of you guys are upset about it. Number 87 I saw in the country this morning. Last in the Big Ten. Only 13 spots. But I think there are definite reasons for disappointment. Definite reasons for disappointment. But I also think that number is a little too simplistic. And we'll talk about why, but we'll talk about why there's still some risk involved with why you can't put everything into that number yet. So we'll talk about that, what it means for the short term, what it means for the long term, in-state recruiting. We'll talk a lot about that with Ryan, who's covered in-state recruiting and Illinois recruiting for a long time. It's a good podcast. Derek Piper is going to join us next to break down Illinois hoops. Ryan Easterling in-depth on Illinois football recruiting. We'll get with Derek next. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, let's get ready for this monster game at State Farm Center. Hopefully you're driving down, get a little preview of this. Figured I'd call up my guy, Derek Piper, Illini Inquirer. And Derek, I think back to now the five years we've covered Illinois, and this feels like the biggest game we'll cover together, man. Yeah, I think so. There's nothing even really close. Uh, fired up for tonight. I think anybody that's watching it uh, has got to be that, the biggest game on the hoop scene, and it's February, and Illinois is playing for a Big Ten title. I know you call it throughout the week a throwback type of game, and, and that's what it feels like. What do you expect atmosphere-wise? We got a little taste of it with Minnesota. It's just, you know, that game, it was still you know early enough in the schedule. It was Minnesota that's not in the Big Ten race. Like, what do you expect tonight to be atmosphere-wise? Absolutely nuts. Uh, I, I don't even know what to compare it to outside of uh, I was a fan back in the day for the Wake Forest game. Uh I was there at the Indiana game, but I just don't think the anticipation going into the Indiana when Indiana was number one, John Gross's first year was quite at that level. Uh, Illinois was was on a skid; they needed that game. I know it was a big game, but just being a Friday night, being that you know Maryland's a top ten team, and uh, again you're playing for a Big Ten championship, and uh, I think the Orange Crush would be crazy. Probably the the highest amount of attended uh, attendance for them. In a long time, and uh, Scott Van Pelt in the house too, so that's just going to make it all fun. So, sellout crowd, I, I just think it's going to be off the off the charts. Were you at the Wake Forest game? That would have been what your freshman year of high school. Yeah, let's see. I was I was fourteen, fourteen years old. So I, I was still in middle school. I was eighth, eighth grade. Okay, and I remember being up there with my dad, and didn't sit the entire game. <laughs> Maybe other than TV timeouts, but the whole place was just shaking and, and up in c-section everybody was standing i will see if it's like that but uh just as far as and then if illinois goes on a run tonight i i think that uh the place is going to rock and getting off to a fast start but uh there's every reason for for that place to be as high of a level i know we, we've gone on our road trips to Mackey and we've gone to east lansing and obviously indiana gets really loud and i, I think that illinois obviously when the product is there and uh, they fill the place. It can be as tough a place to play as any, and uh, we should see House of Pain tonight for sure. Yeah, I was sitting next to Steve Greenberg, uh, Chicago Sun-Times, who, ha- who hadn't been to State Farm Center since it was renovated, and I think that tells you something about where Illinois basketball has been. Uh, but he looked at us in the middle of that Minnesota game where Trent hit back-to-back threes, and he said, this is a big-time atmosphere. And he, he said it almost like, surprisingly, but this is a guy who's covered Chicago Cubs playoff games and, and, and big-time college atmospheres for football with uh, sporting news when he was there. And I agree with him. I was like, yes, this is what it should be. Like, 05, 06, when I was a freshman at Illinois and Dean and Augie were here, and there, there were some atmospheres like that. But, Derek, I even that year I look back and I go, there were some big matchups, some ranked matchups, but that team wasn't even playing much for a Big Ten title at that point. Like the 08-09 team, there were some big games. Or 2010 when Michigan State came in here, and Illinois was pretty good at that point, but didn't lead to a, a Big Ten title or NCAA tournament. And in the number 1 Indiana game, that was a great environment and game and memory, but it, it was just for an NCAA tournament bid, right? Like this is for an arrival moment 
right? Like this is, there can be people tuned in. I was just on Lawrence Holmes radio show, right? Like, there's interest outside of the normal Champaign Illini bubble. And it's an opportunity for Illinois to seize not only a Big Ten race, but seize the attention of um, basketball fans in this state and really the country that, hey, Illinois basketball, hey, they're, they're a thing. Maybe should I check in on them? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you mentioned that Indiana game. Illinois was, was two and seven in league play when when they uh, tipped that one off. And, and obviously it led, it was a big part of your resume going into an NCAA tournament. That's mm-hmm. ultimately the goal of this year is, is to get back there. But that's not really in question anymore. You're not talking about a league championship. And uh, on Friday night, it's really the only high major game going. And it's one of the, the highlight games of a, of a good hoop slate over the weekend, but uh, all eyes, not only in the Big Ten, but for college hoops fans overall, are going to be watching this game and uh, to see if, yeah, again, if, if you haven't bought in already, see if Illinois is for real. And I think we're going to find that out in the next four games, really how for real they are. I think that uh, you don't obviously have to go 4-0 and or even 3-1, and and we can even talk about that as far as what they need to do. But uh, win tonight and you're in the driver's seat, uh, as far as the Big Ten title chase. And uh, the great thing about it is it's been really tough to win on the road, and now the the, the league title goes through Champaign. You know, Michigan State's got to show up in Champaign, Maryland, Iowa. You take care of business at home, you put yourself in a position to at least have a share of that title. I talked with Derek Piper. Um, Derek, I, I know it may be simplistic, but it's obviously a great big man matchup, and both these guys kind of traded blows in the game at Maryland. But you did a great piece, <clears throat> excuse me, breaking down Kofi Coburn and, and two game struggles, right? I mean, he's been great most of the year, but I really feel like the game's going to come down to how well he plays because we know some guard for Illinois is probably going to step up, right? And we know defensively they've been really consistent. Um, it feels like Kofi is kind of the determination of this game. Is that too simplistic? Uh, not necessarily. I just think overall when when Kofi has played well, good things happen for Illinois. There was the one example of Michigan where he really struggled, but Io coast to coast of that game was was brilliant, fantastic. I don't know if you can just get a, if you can get away with that in this game as far as Jalen Smith is playing at an unreal level. We talk a ton about Luca Garza, but Smith, especially during their five game win streak, has played really as well as anybody in the country. He's averaged averaging over around you know twenty, twenty one points a game, uh, over ten, ten and a half rebounds. Uh, and a great rim protector, three and a half blocks. So, uh, and, and he's shooting a league leading fifty one percent from three in Big Ten play. So, <laughs> when you think about Maryland spacing the floor and him playing the five, Luca Garza, you're probably okay with the way Garza took nine threes in that Iowa game. Uh, but you think about those looks, and they're pretty clean looks for the most part. And uh, Kofi going out and trying to challenge Jalen, that's that, that's something that's going to be tough. And Illinois. Are they going to be able to answer that? Do they have a, a way they can scheme that up to, to provide Kofi some help? Um, and, and then you just look around what Maryland also has. and Some of their other role players just haven't shot the three as well as they did. You, you look at Wiggins and Ayala. Those were 40% three-point shooters as freshmen, and they've, they've struggled as sophomores. So I just think not only from a variety of reasons, because Kofi means so much on the defensive end, offensively the interior presence to score, and, yeah, as you mentioned, it's only two games with Michigan and Iowa, but they're two of his lowest points of his freshman campaign. It's been really impressive. And just the timing of those coming off those games and then going into the two biggest games of your season in Maryland and Michigan State, uh, obviously very intriguing. And uh, Illinois, when, when Kofi eats, they, they tend to win. How do you expect Brad Underwood to attack um, Maryland defensively? Because they did a great job last game. Uh, and they're re- they've been good at this throughout most of the year. I even thought Iowa, even though Iowa got the seventy two points, I thought Illinois schemed them pretty well, especially early, Derek. So, how do you expect them to attack um, Maryland defensively? Yeah, I think you look back to the Minnesota game, and also even Iowa. Illinois did a pretty good job of going down and sending some help off the wings to help Kofi inside and. You think Tuo Turu got the ball spotted out of his hands multiple times. Of course, DeMonte swiping it out uh, down the stretch was, was really the key moment of the game, and that was when, when Illinois won and sealed the victory. Against Iowa, they were able to do that a little bit a couple of times. Uh, again, a lot of Lucas' looks were coming from three, so I think they did a good job of uh, you know sending help and, and putting traffic around him uh, on the block. And uh, the, Most of his damage is either from three or on the offensive glass, and, and that's 
uh, where Kofi has to, to make sure that Jalen Smith doesn't get those opportunities. But overall, I think with Ayala and Wiggins not shooting three very well, even Cowan is shooting a career low uh, from beyond the arc. He's 32%, not a guy you want to get going. And Trent Frazier is going to draw that assignment, and obviously he's going to be all over him. But uh, some of those other players uh, are, are going to be able to – you're going to be able to help off of them and send it down low to Jalen. But, uh, again, what makes Maryland tough now, and they've kind of changed over the last couple of weeks, is they've really spaced it out. And as Brad said yesterday, they're playing five-out basketball. And uh, can you send help with that kind of space? And that really challenges defenses. You play zone. Uh, that's a question. Illinois hasn't really been very good at that. Uh, but just overall, Jalen playing beyond the three-point arc, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how Brad attacks that. But uh, if Kofi's not able to get out there and Jalen's able to knock a couple down early, uh, that, that would have you worry. Uh, but overall, I think you try everything you can to make other players other than Smith and really Cowan to beat you. Maryland's scary, and we broke down the concerns, but Illinois should have beat them in Maryland. And Maryland has proven that they're not unbeatable, right? Nobody in this Big Ten is. So what is scaring Maryland going into this Illinois game? I uh, was just playing on the road for sure, and they've won their last two on the road against Indiana Northwestern. Uh, their their only losses have been away from College Park. They lost a close one at Wisconsin. They got blown out at Iowa, uh, lost to Penn State and Seton Hall as well. But, uh, of course, whenever you look at Illinois, the, the fact that they have multiple guys who can take over the game, and I think you're really going to pinpoint how Desumu, who couldn't get going late, especially in the second half at Iowa, uh, but just knowing – how Illinois, when they win their games, especially during that, that win streak, Iowa's going off and playing at a really high level. The mid-range game has been great. The pick and roll. And that's why I'm interested to see how Maryland defends Illinois because do they go zone? Did Iowa show something that maybe uh, gave Illinois some problems as far as that look? Because it takes away the pick and roll. And Iowa's been great making decisions and dumping it to Kofi or hitting the mid-range shot or, or finding trade on the wing. So, uh, I think you wonder about Io, and, and now you got to point to one of the guys you point to on the scouting report at first is Andres Feliz. Mm-hmm. We got to stop him off the dribble. Uh, any opponent that's looking at Illinois has to has to look there because I mean he's been a load in the last couple of games, seventeen in each of the last two, and uh, has really been an X factor off the bench. So finding a way to to send help because Jalen Smith can block shots, and Maryland does a good job at walling up at the rim. Can they send help to, to guard him? Otherwise, if he gets going and uh, if Illinois is able to hit some threes, they're a tough tough guard for sure. Derek, I always like playing this game. If Illinois wins, what's it mean? Uh, you're in the driver's seat, the Big Ten title race. Uh, you are uh, – I've been looking at it, and you know, Kim Palm projects the winner or the shared winner to have a 13-7 and record. I think if you go 2-2 two and two during this stretch, which – wouldn't you know right now there's still four to go so people would say why why not three we still win four mm-hmm. two and two gives you a chance to still to share you win three especially uh beat maryland and then maybe only win, lose one of the next three after that i think you're the team to beat you have a chance to win it outright and we, we've seen michigan state has some flaws and I, I think maryland right now obviously you're tied with them they're your biggest challenge uh, if you're able to win this game and then set up another huge one against michigan state you are the team to be in the Big Ten, which is crazy to think, you know, where <laughs> Illinois was a year ago or even back to Missouri. So uh, that's the opportunity. That's what's on the table tonight. Look at us. Look at us. Who'd have thought it? Um, <laughs> all right, if they lose, what's that mean for this team? Uh, I think you really need to beat Michigan State. Uh, that's going to put a lot of pressure, a decent amount of pressure. I mean, there's going to be that anyway to be able to take care of business at home. And that, that's kind of the key. Even if Illinois is not going to win the Big Ten, uh, if they're going to be a, a decently high seed and finish in that upper tier of the Big Ten, you got to you got to win at home. And because going on the road to, to Rutgers, they haven't lost to the rack all year. Penn State is red hot. That's a tough place to play. Uh, I think you would still need to to win two uh, of the next three. And uh, I, I wouldn't ba- bank on or feel safe about trying to win both on the road. So yeah. uh, I think you would need to win the Michigan State game and then one on the road, but. Uh, obviously, you'd still be in the hunt, and, and if you found a way to go again two and two, I think you're 
uh, still have a shot to at least share the Big Ten title. Yeah, I don't think it'll happen based on defense or talent, Derek, but uh, this stretch does, if you don't win tonight, there's the possibility of a, a losing streak, a prolonged losing streak, right? Like, I, I don't see that happening, but given how well Maryland's playing, we know what Michigan State is capable of, Rutgers on the road, and the Big Ten dark horse is Penn State. There's at least the possibility. So if you win tonight, it doesn't mean you're going to win the Big Ten, but it definitely staves off a potential losing streak during maybe your toughest stretch of the year. Oh, there's no doubt about it. When you, when you count Iowa, you're playing four of, of those five games in this stretch are against top 20 teams in Ken Palm, and then Rutgers is at 27. But again, they they haven't lost at home, and they're uh, a team that you know it is built similarly as far as winning with defense, and Illinois has a lot more scoring upside. Uh, I just obviously we know <laughs> battles at the rack, even when both teams weren't good. Uh, there's nothing guaranteed going in there, but uh, yeah, as you said, if you're able to win uh, this game, not only for for Big Ten title aspirations, but <clears throat> preventing that losing streak, and and also you mentioned defense that allows you to be consistent. That's been the key for this team. That's how you win seven in a row. Uh, and the way this team is built defensively, how they're executing there, uh, I think that makes you feel good that they won't fall off a cliff or, or get into a hole where they lose you know, four or five in a row. Adam Miller visiting tonight. Derek, it took them so long and it's so many efforts to get him on campus that I know he hasn't signed yet, but that's a pretty good sign that, that Adam Miller is visiting. And Plus, Michigan's a little bit of a wreck right now. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. <laughs> I'm glad you're... You're bringing up Adam Miller on this podcast to say he's visiting, not asking about where he's going to end <laughs> yes. up or uh, if that commitment is solid or anything. I think he continues to show that, that he has full intentions of playing at Illinois, and uh, this is now his second game. Uh, I'm forgetting the opponent, but he has he also visited for another game uh, this year. So yeah. to have him in town, he just got selected for the, the Nike Hoop Summit and, and playing uh, with the USA team with a lot of other high-level players. So uh, I know he missed the McDonald's All-American game, but still – uh, a very, very good player, and uh, now working on 2021 and, and seeing who could potentially play with him in the future. But it, it's a good sign that you're not worried right now about where Adam's at. You have Curbelo, and uh, and you're winning. Yeah. So right now, everything's a lot of things are going well for, for Illinois basketball. Yeah, it feels like this is why this doesn't feel fluky, right? As you're adding talent on top of that, you got an identity of defense. you got so many guys returning next year, and uh, we're going to have more games like this. That's why it's fun. But it felt like such a big game, Derek, that we're going to do two podcasts today on it. Uh, but appreciate you uh, hopping on with this pregame with us, uh, and uh, we'll see you at the game, Derek. I love it. I love it. Can't wait to, to we'll take it all in. That's see right. you there. We deserved it. We deserved it. Derek, appreciate it, man. No problem, man. I'll see you. Yeah, Derek and I have joked. We were on the car ride home from Michigan. We're like, hey, we deserve this too. We need to cover some really good games and some really good teams. Uh, we've logged a lot of miles covering some teams that weren't very good, uh, but it's fun that it's paid off a little bit for Illinois football with a bowl game, and, and now Illinois looks like a no-doubt NCAA tournament team, and tonight playing for a Big Ten championship. Speaking of football, though, fans, not very happy. I think you should be disappointed with the class of 2020, uh, but we'll break it down a little bit with Ryan Easterling. A lot of inquirers been covering Illinois recruiting for a long time, covering in-state recruiting, which obviously is a sore subject today. Uh, but we'll talk about the class, why it's maybe a little too early to give a final thought on it, but there are definite concerns when you have the last-ranked uh, Power 5 recruiting class. That's next with Ryan Easterling. Grab your VIP pass. We're delving into the secretive world of Formula One. Behind the scenes with two of the sport's biggest names, Mercedes and Williams. This is not coal mining, this is Formula One motor racing. As they build their new cars. We want to be so much further ahead. We are in permanent racing mode. And face shocking headlines. Here's Lewis Hamilton moving away from Mercedes. I'm Joseph Fiennes and this is F1, back at base. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Illini Enquirer podcast. Covered Illinois basketball with Derek Piper with a big game against Maryland tonight. But other news this week is Illinois football recruiting and not much news. Uh, the negative that Jaden Thompson, which was kind of known for a couple weeks, but it kind of comes to a forefront as he commits and signs with Cincinnati, uh, not able to get into Illinois. Uh, but uh, Illinois adds one prospect, Tavion Nicholson, a corner out of Florida that went to Palmetto Prep in South Carolina. 
But uh, with only 13 signees, Illinois not going to be high on the recruiting rankings and uh, didn't get really any headliners in this class so far, though they got some good prospects and filled a couple needs. Let's break it all down with Ryan Easterling, Illini Inquirer. I've been covering this for a while. Well, Ryan, I just want to get your thoughts. Like 88th ranked recruiting class, last in the Big Ten. It's just not good optics for Illinois. No, it's not. And and from a perception standpoint, I think this is really one of the, one of the surprises because you would think that after having a pretty good recruiting class last year, making a couple of splash landings uh, down the stretch, and then having the success they did this year on the field where they got to a bowl game, you kind of thought that that might be the spark that they would need to really have a, a great recruiting class and finish strong. And it just kind of feels like it, it fell flat. Uh, and that's no, no slight on any of the guys in the class. I thought they've got some good pieces, but you know, you were looking for them not only to take that next step on the field, but also to take that next step in, in the recruiting uh, rankings. And, and now it's almost looking like they're really going to have to rely heavily on the transfer portal to move the needle. Yeah, my, my biggest two things we'll dive into right here. I mean, the two things that make this a disappointment for me are one, you felt like, I felt like, um, Ryan, they had a chance to get a couple blue chip prospects again, just like with Beeson and Williams. Like, right, that, that class is small. Um, that class wasn't high in the rankings. It was 53, but people were rightfully were pumped about it. You know, you can look at average star rating and sell that, but you had, you know, a bunch of four-star prospects. You had defensive linemen winning power five battles and for in-state and local kids. This one, Frenchie loved nice players, but you didn't have AJ Henning or Mookie Cooper or Antonio Johnson or Antonio Doyle. Like if you land even one of those, or really if you land two of those, I think people feel really good about that class. And I thought they had ends on those guys. So it was really disappointing they couldn't close, even with some of those guys who Antonio Johnson and Antonio Doyle kind of kept their recruitments open a little bit going down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, you look at you look at their rate of, of finishing with recruits in, in past classes, and they were able to sign a lot of those guys down the stretch. And, you know, those were when times weren't going so great on the field. So it was a little bit surprising that they weren't able to land some of those big guys. And those are guys that would have definitely – giving them a nice boost in the recruiting rankings. Um, you know, they're guys that are probably, at least from a prep standpoint, more physically equipped to play. Uh, you know, I think you can't. it's hard to keep a guy like an Antonio Doyle or a guy like an Antonio Johnson off the field uh, that early. Uh, you know, those are guys that are more, more equipped to play. Um, you know, offensive and defensive linemen, you want to get some guys that are ready to play by maybe year two, year three. But they missed some guys that they really could have used now, Mookie Cooper or an A.J. Henning. Those are guys that could have made impacts from day one. Um, and like you said, they were right there for those guys and just couldn't seal the deal, which is surprising considering how well it closed in past classes. So, you know, that I think you, you're, you have a point as far as being disappointed in that. For me, the biggest disappointment was they just didn't land anybody from the state of Illinois. If you consider uh, Jaden Thompson out of this class, they didn't get anybody from the state of Illinois. You know, and in past classes, they, they'd landed at least four or five guys from the state of Illinois. Last year, it was five prep players from the state of Illinois, plus you get Luke Ford through the transfer market. And right now, they have zero. And, you know, I, I know we've talked about how there are some complications with recruiting the state of Illinois, but to not get anybody from the state of Illinois was really disappointing for me. Yeah, and, and they could have probably gotten somebody. If, if I mean, if they offered some of these kids, like if, if they want to get Luan Powell or you know some of these guys who were borderline, they, they could have gotten them and stopped maybe that headline or narrative or whatever. I, I don't want them doing that. I, I want them taking really good players. But I, I was looking at this, and over the last 10 years, this is not just a Lovey Smith problem. Um, last 10 years, Illinois has gotten six total top 10 prospects out of the state. Ricky Smalling, Kendrick Green, Gabe Meganson, Dre Brown, Aaron Bailey, and, and a blast from the past here, Ryan, for you, Clint Tucker. <laughs> Didn't even get to Illinois. Didn't even make it to campus. Yeah, and, and for me, if you want to expand that to the top 15, they got 12. Um, that Those are the guys you got to land. Like, listen, you can go get the number 27 guy or number 35 guy if, if you want to stop that narrative, but getting the guys other people want, why... Is it as simple as wins, or, or what do you see with this staff compared to maybe in the past with Zook and, and Beckman and Cubit? why they weren't able to land some of these guys? I, I think some of it is wins. I mean, I, I think that a lot of people won't admit that, but I think a lot of it is wins. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to, for these high school coaches to send their guys to the state program uh, when that state program is successful and that they're getting more exposure. 
you know, ultimately what, what the coaches are trying to do is, is get these guys to places where their players are going to have the best chance to succeed. And a lot of coaches' idea of what that involves is going to a place where they're going to be the most noticed and, and the most viewed. But, you know, for some of these guys, you know, you're seeing this now across the country, not just an Illinois problem, but really across the country. They're, they're going to these programs, and then a year, two years in, bam, transfer portal. And so even if Illinois may not get them right out of high school, they may have another shot at them down the road. But, you know, this you'd rather have them coming out of high school and get them into the program and, and prove that that path is something that they can be successful in. And that's something they really haven't had much of an opportunity to do. Now, they've had some guys they've been able to get plugged in pretty quickly. Ricky Smalling played a lot as a true freshman. Mike Dudek was one of the best freshman receivers I've ever seen at Illinois. Um, but, you know, those examples are few and far between. It's been a while. Uh, Palczewski played early. Jeff Allen played early. Um, and so there, there is a bit of a precedent for it. But at the same time, lately, they just haven't had a chance to prove it. Um you hope that maybe as some of these guys start coming back, like a guy like Luke Ford, if a guy like Luke Ford has a big year here in Illinois in his first year of eligibility, I think that goes a long way towards making the case that, hey, you know, the best homegrown talent really needs to stay home. Um, but I think it is it is twofold in a way, though, because, you know, even though the staff has said that they're going to be very diligent about Illinois, they've hired a lot of guys that don't necessarily have super strong right. ties to the state of Illinois. I mean, Mike Bellamy has, has been great in Chicago. They used to have Thad Ward, who was, who was good in Chicago and St. Louis. Uh, obviously, Corey Patterson's got St. Louis, which is very close to Illinois. And Lovey Smith was a Bears coach. But, you know, a lot of the other position coaches have little to no Illinois ties or little to no Illinois roots. And, you know, in Chicago, I think, especially in the suburbs, you know, having, having a guy who's familiar with navigating those waters, having a guy who's maybe got some name recognition in that area goes a long way towards helping with recruiting. Um, and they just right right now they don't have that. Yeah. I mean, they've, they've done well in recruiting some other talent rich States like Florida and Texas, but I, I think there are still some steps they need to take off the field. Uh, if they really want to be successful recruiting in the state of Illinois. Right. Like Lovey Smith can say, we offered 19 guys. None of them wanted to come here, but whether they think it's fair or not, right. He has to reevaluate how they're handling it, and we have seen some early offers to really some some borderline prospects that haven't had Power Five offers before. Whether it's Zachary Barlow or Josh Crutz, Owen Crutz's son, I I can almost feel like hey, they're not going to let that happen again where they strike out in state. But they do have to reevaluate if you don't sign any guys in state, right? Because whether you don't think it's fair or not, they don't feel the high school coaches and the players. I can tell you the players too don't feel like they're as big of a priority. And when you go hire two coaches, and I think Lindsey and, and Davis will be great for them, um, when you go hire two coaches with no in-state ties, that kind of furthers that, right? So they've other coaches feel like Minnesota or Iowa State or these other Big Ten programs prioritize uh, state kids more. So that's a problem they have to address. Even if they don't think it's true, they have to address it, whether it's hiring somebody. I thought they needed to hire somebody within state ties. Maybe it just didn't work out. Maybe these other guys are, end up being better coaches. And, and Bellamy certainly has in-state ties. But Or if it's just Lovey being seen more up there. Because that still has so much sway. I think Rod Smith could do well in-state. I think Corey Patterson could do well in-state. Um, so it, it's just something they have to evaluate and address, Ryan. Because even if Florida, Texas, uh, Georgia, St. Louis have been better to them recently this is still your backyard. This is still the best resource available to you because just naturally kids are going to want to stay a little bit closer to home, most of them. Um, so it's it's just a better opportunity to get in with those kids and for them to come to you. Yeah, and, and not every kid is going to have, you know, not every kid's family is going to have the resource to come and see them play right. far away from home every, uh, you know, every game. So for a lot of these guys, one of the motivations to stay closer to home is so that their parents and their family can come see them play. Well, in order to convince them to come to Illinois, you have to then also convince them that Illinois is a better option than, say, a Notre Dame, which is you know three hours away, uh, Wisconsin or you know Iowa. Purdue, Michigan, Iowa. Yeah, I mean there are a lot of schools that are still in that you know half day travel range. Uh, They're plucking a lot of Illinois players. I mean Iowa has been all over Illinois, Minnesota has been all over Illinois. Northwestern's doing well. Notre Dame has always done well in the state of Illinois. And so, you know, to me, a lot of it, too, is 
but you kind of hinted at this was taking tangible steps to showing that you are committed to it. You know, it's, it's one of those, and I'm not saying that they aren't committed to a degree, but it's one of those don't talk about it, be about it. Mm-hmm. Like if you're really going to prioritize the state of Illinois, you know, there's some steps you've got to take that, that go into that. It's not one of those, well, we're only going to recruit the state of Illinois when it's convenient for us. It's, right. You know, some years you might have to reach a little bit, not necessarily saying you're taking a, a guy that doesn't belong at the D1 level. But, you know, some years you're going to have to you're going to have to reach a little bit, but you should always have a very strong presence in the state of Illinois. Uh, one way to do that is, you know, even if you're not recruiting kids at a high school, get to the high school because two, yeah. three years down the road, they'll probably have somebody that you're going to want. And showing up when they don't have anybody uh, instead of just showing up when they do have somebody goes a long way toward building those relationships. And I think that's one thing that maybe other programs, at least in state here, do better than Illinois. Uh, a lot of these coaches have great relationships with out-of-state programs, um, but I think one of the things they can do better is spend a little more time and effort building relationships with the in-state programs on a deeper level, so that when those uh, when those top prospects come around, the uh, yeah. the coaches and the players at those schools see that effort that the staff's putting in in-state and recognize it and reciprocate it. Yeah, and the key is if if Illinois is showing that, then the high school coaches. It for me, it's not high school coaches pushing players somewhere, but maybe pushing them to visit. Just check it out, right? Like I think Illinois would say, yeah, we need some help from the local schools too. But that takes the relationship of, hey, hey just bring your kid to, to campus, give us a shot here, right? And, and bring them to campus and and see it. And I, th- I think that helps when you got that kind of relationship where you can have those conversations. All right, um, what's your? I, I know we've had these guys signed for a while, but. What do you think was the best part of this class? Not a lot of people are going to focus on that because of the 88th ranking there, but what's your favorite part or favorite player in this class? I think they got some good depth pieces, um, and especially just with the lack of proven players at the receiver position. I think James Frenchie could be a guy that could see some early action. You know, they've, they've had some struggles and some setbacks at the slot receiver position. Uh, Dominic Stampley transferring, uh, Raynard Davis transferring. Trayvon Sidney had an injury that was pretty serious last year. Um, and, you know, you, you need a, a good, reliable slot guy. And James Frenchy is a really good route runner. Uh, he kind of fits in that mold. He's a quick twitch guy that can get open. So, you know, he's a guy that I, I think could, could come in and play early. I thought they did fairly well across the defensive line, getting some needs filled. Um, the, the flip of Johnny Newton was definitely a big one for them. Um, he's a guy who whose best days are probably ahead of him. I mean, he was playing running back a year ago, and he's 6'3", 255, and probably growing. That, that number might even be a little bit low now as he starts to put on some weight for college. But he's an athletic specimen that I, I think could be a, a great player in this class, especially as they lose um, some key guys on the interior of the defensive line. Um, so I like Cooper you, you Davis, hope that too. he maybe doesn't have to play. Yeah, yeah I think Cooper Davis could be good. He's a big, a big guy. Uh, he's a big-framed guy. Um, you know, I think as he gets into the college strength and conditioning program, uh, he'll, he'll get a little more explosiveness to him as he just builds that power. But, uh, you know, they, they loaded up pretty well on the defensive line. Um, and then I, the guy that I'm kind of intrigued by, I want to see how he, how he, he plays when he shows up is Deuce Span. Mm-hmm. You know, Brandon Peters has one more year. Isaiah Williams has shown some flashes. Um, you know, they still got Matt Robinson. They've still got Karan Taylor. But Deuce Span's kind of the guy that you think might have the tools and has the size plus the speed um, to really fit the mold of what Rob Smith wants to do. So I'm curious to see how he progresses. Um, would have been great if he would have been able to be in Champaign in the spring yeah. for spring football and get, get those practices under his belt. But you know, they were able to at least get a couple of their offensive linemen on campus early. Um, and then one of the other wild cards, I'll, I'll go wild card on defense. I, I think LeVar Gardner could be a really good player. Uh, Illinois loses Stanley Green, and I think he could he could probably be the most plug and play guy at that position. Just with the way he plays, you know, he's very physical. He and Stanley kind of seem like they have that same mindset. Uh, super explosive player, so he probably got even a little more quickness than Stanley. But you know, Levar Gardner's a guy who I think could could potentially really have a good year uh, in his first year on campus. Yeah, I know when you watch this film, you said, "Hey, Jeremy, this guy could be really good." So, no, I agree. He's got he's got those tools uh, to make that immediate impact. And obviously, why they're bringing in a JUCO kid. Um, I, I look at the offensive linemen in this class, and I'm a big fan of Kevin Tyler. He reminds me of Larry Boyd, uh, just the size, the physicality, um, but he's raw too. The two guys, Pfeiffer Griffin and Blaze Sparks, are on campus already. They're two maybe kind of, I don't want to say rolls of the dice, but they're they're probably going to be a little bit projects, which is nice while you get them here. 
But that's the position I think I'm most concerned about after 2020 because wide receiver, they need more talent, but I feel like you can always find wideouts, right? Like you can plug and play some guys. You can find guys in the transfer market. You can under guys who are under recruited can turn into to good wide receivers as we're seeing with Donnie Navarro. Uh, but the offensive line, you can't fake it, right? And uh, after losing, you're going to lose Palcho, Vidarian Lowe, Doug Kramer. We'll see how good of a year Kendrick Green has here, but you got a lot of guys to replace, and, and they they got a hit on these guys, right, Ryan? And Julian Pearl, Virtus Brown, Jordan Slaughter, they got a hit on those guys, right? And, and you're probably going to have to the transfer market. So that's the most long-term position, even though they addressed it with numbers. Um, they got a hit on these guys. Yeah, they do. And, I mean, you see the starting group that they've had this year, really until the end of the year, that group was able to remain intact. And had they had any more significant injuries earlier in the year to that group, I think they would have had some serious problems. Um, and the guys behind them are, are, are obviously working. They're, they're getting better. Um, but this is the offseason where those, those guys that have, you know are, were freshmen, sophomores last year, really need to step up. They need to have a great offseason, and they need to be quality depth because Illinois just didn't play with a lot of offensive line depth last year. Um, they weren't able to rotate too many guys in and out. I mean, that starting five of, of Lowe, Green, Kramer, Pettibone, and Palcho was pretty much the five for 90% of the snaps. Um, you know, they rotated some guys in here and there, but they need some of those guys that came into the program a couple years ago to really be ready. You know, it's not it's not really development time anymore. It's, it's be ready to play time. A guy like Julian Pearl should be ready to step in at tackle this year. A guy like Jordan Slaughter probably at guard this year if he's healthy. You know, they got to get some guys to, to to play more often, be able to play some snaps and take some of the load off of the starters. Um, that starting group this year, I mean, really they only lost Pettibone after after last year, and so they need that starting group uh, to kind of pass the torch this year and. Uh, you, know, you really need some of those guys to step up. You know, like you said, Blaze Sparks and Pfeiffer Griffin being on campus early is great. All the more time you can spend getting those guys ready and up to speed, get them in, in the weight room and have them have them prepared is that's crucial. You really wish you could do that with all those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but having those guys on campus helps. Now, as you said, they're projects. Those guys are probably not ready-made players. When we watched film when they committed. I noted a few things that they'll definitely have to work on once they get to the collegiate level. Uh, but they're guys that, that have you know the size and, and the mobility to, uh, to be players down the road. Uh, it's just they're not ready right now, and I don't think they will be ready this fall. So you, you need those guys that are in between the starters and the guys that are in between the incoming freshmen to be ready to play. The good news is you're able to redshirt most of your freshmen. So guys like Isaiah Williams, Kyron Cumby, Apala, Coleman, Randolph, Cooper, Beeson, you know, they're all coming in. Luke Ford is an addition, a big addition. Chase Brown, I am really high on. Um, obviously, you know, you add Derek Smith to the defense too, so they do add a lot here, but uh, the transfer market is going to be huge yet again, and, and I don't know if they can repeat what they did last year, Ryan, but we've seen, like, you know, part of this recruiting ranking in 24-7 sports, we, we've had the conversations about, man, we should probably include transfers because if you had included transfers last year for Illinois, what, six starters, um, you know, three more guys who could start this year, that would have been Illinois' best class in a really long time, but we don't calculate that in there. Uh, but Illinois is going to have to hit on the transfer market uh, for immediate defensive linemen, obviously. Uh, but for me, I, I would look at some multi-year guys on the offensive line and wide receiver. like that. That's how I think they can address that. And I don't think it's a ridiculous plan, even though it, it's not, it, it comes with some risk, right? But that's a good way for Lovey Smith to find the way to four-star talent and get it on the roster. Like I'd rather him do that than reach for some prospects like he did his first couple classes late in the year. Right, and the advantage of getting some of these transfers, at least if you get the right transfers, is you know guys that can be there for two years, especially with the offensive lineman. It gives you an opportunity to develop them in your system. You know, it was pretty impressive for Pettibone to play the way he did. Uh, you know, being a, a late transfer addition and and coming in with basically one off season to get up to speed to play as a starter all of last year. Um, when you're able to get those guys into the program for a couple years, they get some rhythm, they get some comfortability with being there, and you have a chance to really coach them up in your system. Um, the other advantage, too, to some of these transfers, and, you know, I don't think 
transfers can necessarily be a long-term lifeblood of your program. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, when they are in this kind of win-now mode where they're trying to really keep fuel throwing coal into the boiler, you know, they they get some guys that are more physically prepared to play ball. Um, you know, not everybody comes out of high school looking like Luke Ford, and Luke Ford's even more physically impressive now than he was coming out of high school. But, you know, if, you, if you're talking about having a guy that can step in this fall, um, you know, doesn't have a whole lot of more work to do in the weight room and has played it at the college level, is able to absorb some of those the playbooks uh, more effectively than a true freshman, you know, that I think that gives them a leg up. And I, I think if you're able to use the transfers uh, the right way, where you know you're not relying entirely on them because then it can totally throw off your roster balance but you know if you're getting guys at strategic positions who can fill needs and are a good fit for your program then absolutely you know i I think they'll continue to do that i think they're going to need to do that this off season with some of the gaps that are still um existing on the roster and could be existing in a couple years yeah with with like smalling sydney and matt torbebe navarro Casey Washington, I, I think Cumbie will be in that mix, and we'll see with Edwin Carter and Dale Von Campbell and guys like that, but I think you can go for a multi-year guy, a, a sit-out guy there. Offensive line, I think they might want a guy who can start right away to kind of give him another bridge uh, so they don't have to maybe play those Slaughter Browns pearls quite yet. Uh, defensive line, you got to get two guys um, that can play for you right away, but if I find a very talented defensive back that I can sit out for a year and then come in and bring, kind of like they did with Milo Eifler, right, at linebacker. I think that makes a lot of sense. So if you can get you know a couple guys who make an immediate impact and then a couple more long-term guys, because I, I think Chase Brown, Luke Ford, and um, you know guys like Eifler are, are big for this team. Uh, Derek Smith could be big for this team um, because that's where maybe you can get these top 500 prospects that didn't pick you first time around, Ryan, but at the end of the day, you get the best couple years out of them. That still works too. Yeah, I mean, like you said, you get guys that can step in right away. You've gotten some good players, and it, it doesn't necessarily have to be an immediate impact guy. Um, you know, if you've got a good amount of seniors, like uh, offensive line, obviously having some immediate help would be great. But if you find the right guy that has to sit this year, this is probably the year that you'd be able to absorb that because you've got so many good senior starters that the guy wouldn't have to play right away. And then you've got somebody that's been in college for two or three years already. Um they could step in as soon as those seniors all graduate and some of those guys move on and be that senior anchor for that offensive line alongside Kendrick Green. So, you know, some of it's the roster game. You know, mm-hmm. can you can you afford to have a guy sitting on the sideline for a year? I, th- I think you can if you've got enough depth at certain positions. Um, but, you know, at, at other positions, defensive line being one of those with as much as they lost this offseason to, to graduation and to Batiku going pro, you know, I, I think defensive line is a position where you want to get maybe one or two guys in there that are ready made to play this year. Maybe they only play for one year. Maybe if you get the right guy, it can be two. Um, but again, it just kind of depends on what you have at each position and how immediately you need that help. Well, Ryan, what's this mean for the class of 2021? What, what do you think they can accomplish with a full year of selling a bowl game? with a full year of having in that building, which is just ridiculous. Um, and I, I think this is a much better in-state class um, in, in 2021. I think there's probably about 25 to 30 Power 5 prospects as opposed to maybe 15 to 18 last year. I guess for Illinois, they thought 19. Um, what, what do you think they can accomplish, or what do they need to accomplish in this 2021 class, especially with you know the, the low marks in 2020? I, th- I think one of the big things they need to do is they need to be present early and, and make sure that they're they're putting an emphasis on this this class early. You know, there's already a handful of guys in state that have already committed to other programs that are have been recruiting very well in the state of Illinois. I mean, Minnesota's already got four or five commitments from in state. The state's top player is uh, JG McCarthy is going to Michigan as a quarterback. Um, you got Brian Sanborn going to Wisconsin. Of course, his brother Jack played there. And then you've got a, a player or two that are either already committed to Iowa or leaning heavily towards Iowa. So, you know, I, I think you've really got to get in there and, and make a make a presence early. Uh, be be very very aggressive with in-state recruiting now. Uh, you know, I, personally, I think they've been a little bit lax with offering kids in 2021 to this point. There's a few that they've sent out offers to, but. You know, there's some others who are pretty good players who are getting offers from other Power 5 schools. They haven't even really offered yet. 
And so, yeah, you can't let Kevo Wesley happen again, right? Like you had him on campus and you didn't offer him, and then other schools beat you to him. Like that matters, right? It, it, it does. It, it matters when, especially when you're Illinois and you're trying to get a, ahead of these teams, you got to make a good first impression. Yeah, and, and one one guy for me that I've I've seen or, or getting a couple offers recently is Ben Perry from Mount Carmel. You know, Mount Carmel is a great program every year in state. He's a safety. That's a position that you need. He's a top six hundred player. You've had him on campus. Why haven't you offered yet? And, and it's things like that. I mean, they, they have given some offers to some guys that are you know the, the in state running backs. Obviously, those guys all have offers uh, between Justin Johnson, Marquise Irving, and Willie Shaw. Um, but it's just on some of those other guys that are just solid, good players. I mean, I don't think it really hurts to offer in state. I mean, maybe out of state, sure, but I don't think it hurts to offer some of these solid in state, you know, three star and above type guys. I don't see any anything wrong with that. Um, you know, because it's not a binding too, contract, right? Like <laughs> if you offer no, somebody, I mean, you, you don't want to just and you don't want to just offer and then you know the offer doesn't mean anything. It's, yeah. You know, if if the guy wants to commit, sure, you take him. It's not one of those where you're so stingy with spots that you you don't think the guy would ever play, but you know, get give the give the guy an opportunity. Uh, I mean, if if you aren't super aggressive with recruiting him, then you know they'll probably catch on to that and realize it. But you know, I, I think you still have to offer and at least make some some attempt to to be a, a player in your own state. Um, and one other factor to this too is these guys all talk, and a lot of these guys all play on travel, either together on travel teams or against each other on travel teams in like seven on seven. And so, you know, you may not think that the the guys that are down there a little further down, like the three stars and the you know fringe four star guys, um, aren't as important as the top rated prospects. But a lot of them end up on the same teams as each other, and they talk. And if one guy feels slighted, then the higher ranked guy might also feel like. You know that's not right. They shouldn't do that to you. It's you know so keeping keeping in mind that you have to recruit it holistically. Mm-hmm. That you have to show the same effort to the three star guys as you do to the four star guys. At least as far as uh, being upfront, honest, and, and being diligent and keeping that relationship. Um, you know, perfect example. I mean, a guy that I think is going to be really critical for Illinois in twenty twenty one is Dominic Lovett. Oh, so um, same thing, Keontes Lewis, two receivers at East St. Louis. You know, you have to recruit some of their other players and, and maintain that relationship. And, of course, East St. Louis has been kind of a tricky place to recruit in the past. But the point point stands that, you know, if you want to have a shot with some of those higher-ranked guys, you have to treat some of the other guys on the team that maybe aren't as, as highly esteemed with the same level of respect and effort. You may not offer them, but you should at least, you know, treat them the same so that when they talk to their teammates that are the highly-ranked guys, they don't feel like they're being slighted. Yeah, and uh, make Tyler Macon, the quarterback at East St. Louis, a top priority. I think he's really, really, really good. It's going to be a full class, and um, you know, you you got to build this thing up. And uh, I, I think I think a fair expectation, whether they save four or five spots for transfers next year too, you're going to sign probably at least twenty high school kids here. Um, you should be a top thirty-five recruiting class, top forty recruiting class next year, Ryan. Yeah, and the, the numbers, are, of course, if they have more players in the class, it's right. definitely going to help out the numbers. You know, we've looked at quality of player, and they've done better in that arena than they did under Beckman. They're getting more, at least across the board, they're getting uh, a higher quality player. Um, and yeah, so you know, if, as you sign more prep prospects, um, the numbers are going to improve, and uh, you hope in 2021 that they really get a head start. Um, you know, it, what is it? Is it if you're not if you're not first, you're last, <laughs> and they don't want to lose any ground on some of these guys that are already really getting the the pedal to the metal put to them by some of these other programs that have been rating the talent from the state for the last five to 10 years. Yeah. I guess, I guess my closing thing with this class, Ryan would be you go individual by individual case. Uh, Illinois is still improving who it gets, right? Like they are getting guys with power five offers outside of Tavian Nicholson. All these guys have power five offers. You and I covered Beckman and Cubit during those years. That wasn't happening. Now that's a low bar, right? And the bar is raising in the big 10. That's the thing is, Yes, they're improving. I'm at practice. These are far better talents than Illinois had in the past. But you look across the Big Ten and everyone has upped their game. So to pass those teams up or to stay in front of Nebraska or Purdue or Northwestern, whoever it is, 
you got to land more huge difference makers and you got to do better in your state. So that that's kind of the closing argument of this. But Lovey has found that the transfer portal was worked the first time. He's going to try for it the second time. Yeah, and I totally agree. You make a good point that that every other program in the conference has really stepped their game up. Um, and look at a program like Rutgers, even, mm-hmm. who has landed some really talented players through the transfer portal. Uh, a lot of that has to do with Greg Schiano. He's made a, a great splash there early on. But keep that in mind. I mean, Rutgers isn't going to stay down in the basement nope. forever if Schiano sticks around there. He's He's got great ties to the whole Northeast area there. Uh, he's a name that, that everybody recognizes, and he was really the last guy to have success at that program. And so if he's able to, to raise the level of talent there, you know, you got you to keep climbing. you got to keep climbing. It's a dogfight to the top of the hill. And the only way to, to do that is to, to continue beating um, – beating the teams that are kind of in your in your tier of the conference and they keep climbing to the top of that and, and keep making progress. So I, I don't think they can get complacent. They definitely right. can't. Um, and, you know, maybe maybe if they can get more on the hunt, uh, you know, it'll help not only just the perception of how they recruit, but also just the, the energy they recruit with. Great stuff. Ryan Easterling, good talk, man. Appreciate the time. Yeah, thanks, Jeremy. All right. Good stuff. Ryan Easterling, Illini Inquirer. Follow him on Twitter at Ryan Easterling. Yeah, it's a good talk. Um, you should be disappointed in this class. Uh, I think, you know, I was talking a little bit, uh, you know, whether it's on Twitter or whatever, and I had my big breakdown. Hopefully you read that on the premium. And there are some good things I liked about this class. I really like the defensive lineman for the most part that they got. I, I think Johnny Newton can be a star. I, I think Cooper Davis has a really, really high ceiling. Uh, Deuce Span, I think, has a really high ceiling at quarterback. Um, James Frenchie and Reggie Love are really good skill players out of St. Louis. And Illinois didn't maybe hit a home run in St. Louis, but they continued to, to hit doubles down there at the very least. And they weren't doing that before Corey Patterson and Lovey Smith arrived. So uh, there are positives of this class, but it's not just about the ranking. And, and that's what I was trying to get across when you have a small class, when you save spots for the transfer portal, and the transfer portal has been very good for Illinois. They could have landed five in-state three-star prospects and finished top 55, somewhere around there. And I think people would have felt better because that number is better. That wouldn't have made me feel better about this class. Um, I feel good about individual guys. I have questions about what will the offensive linemen turn into. That's on Bob McClain, the offensive line coach, and Rod Smith to develop them and to have evaluated them well. They need to add more impact wide receivers. And they missed on a couple guys in Mookie Cooper and A.J. Henning who could have transformed your offense. And that didn't happen. So you got to find a way to get those in the next class. Or you got to find a way to get those on the transfer portal. Um, Antonio Johnson, I think, could have transformed your defense as a potential future NFL draft pick. I think he will be. Uh, and day one starter at safety. Antonio Doyle would have stepped in and possibly given you an edge rusher right away. You don't have those guys. So you got to get them on the transfer portal, which is possible. We saw that last year. But do you have the connections um, to get those? And I think 2020, they're still going to be fine if they land a couple defensive linemen, maybe one offensive lineman in the transfer portal. But long term, what do you have on the offensive line? What do you have at wide receiver? Uh, I think the defensive line eventually is going to be very good. Linebackers, secondary, I think there's some talent there. Quarterback, you're in a much better spot. But there certainly are more questions after this 2020 class than I thought you'd have. I, I thought you had a chance to have your best recruiting class. And you certainly didn't. I didn't think 2018 was very good. And it's proving out that it's not that great of a class. They probably should have saved some spots for transfers in that class. But 2020 was a disappointment compared to what 2019 ended up being with those headliners. 2017, you look back at that class, even though you lost Lou Dorsey, you lost Bennett Williams, uh, Bobby Roundtree with his tragic injury. You look up and down that class, it was deep. You added in-state kids. You landed some St. Louis kids. You landed Texas, Florida you're kind of everywhere. I'm surprised they haven't been able to repeat that. Uh, 2019 was pretty good, though. 2019, I think they got as high-ceiling guys as they've gotten. So they got a hit on these guys in 2020, or they got a bounce back on the transfer portal or in 2021. Thanks for listening to the Illini Enquirer podcast. Hopefully we got you ready for tonight's game, Illinois-Maryland. Hopefully we broke it all down in depth for football recruiting as well. I'm going to talk to you in just a few hours here. Just wanted to be able to have you have something to listen to on the way down to the game, get you ready for that, and dive into this recruiting class a little bit more. Derek and I will talk to you after the Maryland game, win or lose. And I do want to tease this. I had a great conversation at the Illinois football facility today with one of the most popular guys on that Illinois staff, and that would be Lou Hernandez. I was going to do a Q&A, but Lou was so good. 
And it, I don't have like quality mic of this, but it's just on my phone. But I thought it was such a good interview and the quality is, is good. Um, so I think I'm just going to make that a podcast. I think I'm just going to let you listen to the entire thing with Lou Hernandez because I think it comes across even better on audio than it does in the written word. So I think I'm just going to make that podcast for all you Illini fans to listen to. So that'll be coming up maybe over the weekend, early next week, my conversation sit down with Lou Hernandez, the Illini strength and conditioning coach. Thanks for listening to us. Thanks for subscribing to us, rating us, reviewing us, wherever you are. That really helps us out. Really appreciate the feedback on that. I really appreciate the following we've had on this. So hopefully make your drives a little bit better. Work out wherever you're listening to us. We'll talk to you next time here on the Illini Inquirer Podcast. Rise and shine, football fans. This is Susanna Fuller from Morning Footy, a podcast part of the CBS Sports Galazzo Network covering the breadth of the global game. Join me, Nico Cantor, Charlie Davies, Alexis Guerreros, and guests every morning for the perfect blend of news, analysis, conversation, and exclusive interviews. If you love soccer, then look no further. We've got you covered for Europe's top five leagues, the W Gold Cup, the Champions League Knockout Stage, CONCACAF Nations League, NWSL, MLS, Transfer News, and much more. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found. Subscribe to Morning Footy.